And so, here's the first statement I want to make. Today we are going to talk about the intents of the Holy Spirit. The intents of the Holy Spirit. What are His intents? What are His primary intents uh, when it comes to us? That's what we'll talk about. Guys, to begin with, interest attracts intent. Interest attracts intent. As in, it is only when I'm interested that I can attract your intent. If I'm not interested, it doesn't matter how intentional you are, I may not be interested. So my interest creates room, my interest creates room for God's intent. My interest creates room for God's intent. This is important, eh? Because one of the things that God really messed up in was that he gave us free will. Had he not given us free will, this would be so easy. But now that he's given us free will, it is up to us to begin to respond, engage, interact with him. And interest attracts intent. And my interest creates room for God's intent. Uh, it's, it's, it's a common thing with life. I remember um, once putting a business card in a restaurant bowl where they pick out a card and they give you a prize. And uh, guess who got picked out? Me. I've only won uh, something twice in my life and this was the first time. And they picked out my name and I won. Guess what I won? A gym membership. Excuse me, I don't see the reason for that kind of laughter. So gym membership. And so I thought to myself, should I, should I not? I mean, this is the first time I've won in Canada. Let's just go. And there was this really, um, this guy who looked just buff like me. And he came out and he started taking me through the gym. And he's telling me how this machine works. And how when you pull this, he, he began to explain things about muscles that I didn't know I had. And so for about... 20 minutes he took me through the gym. I was so not interested, man. And uh, he could see it, eh? Because he began to cut short certain machines. And so, what you realize then is, your interest attracts intent, and my interest creates room for God's intent. And if I'm not interested, the strange thing with God is, he'll keep coming back and trying. He doesn't give up. He just keeps coming back again and again and saying, hey, Jacob, interested? I find that so humble about God. I find it so humbling that the creator of the universe who made each of us comes and knocks on a door and knows how to deal with my rejection of him. It's both bothersome and yet endearing. To begin with the idea that Jesus Christ is the only true living God and he can come knocking at your door as he says in the Bible and you can turn him and walk away and he comes back again and 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 again. So that's one part of it. The second part of it is those of us who at some point opened the door of our lives when he came knocking and said, Jesus, you can have my life. And then he begins to try and bring in intents that he has for you. And we can still keep resisting it, saying no. 
So for intent to ignite into passion, for intent, for, sorry, for your interest, for your interest to ignite, for your interest to ignite into passion, for your interest to ignite into passion, you got to know what God's intent is. You got to know what the process is. You got to know how he wants to engage. And you got to know what the rewards or the payoff is. And in every aspect of Christianity, all four exist. Whenever God comes with an intent and he says, hey, this is what I want to do with your life, all these four things go into play. All these four things go into play. One, God tells you what he wants to do. He tells you what he wants to do. Two, he gives you the process. This is how I'm going to go about it. Three, what's the last word? Engage. Huh. Engage. Three, he tells you how he wants to engage you. What's he going to come to you as? How, what will it look like? And four, he tells you the rewards because he wants you to know that at the end of the day, this is what you'll be rewarded with. This is what Jesus Christ came to do. Hey, let me tell you my intent. My intent is to bring you from a place where you are sinful and wrong and hostile to God. I want to tell you my intent. My intent is to bring you to a place where you are no longer an enemy of God. Oh, the process. The process is pretty gruesome, but I'll tell you. I will die in your place, brutally hung on a cross to pay the punishment for your sins. And then I will be buried and I will rise again. Engagement, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send my Holy Spirit to live in you so that you will be able to communicate directly to God. He will no longer just be your creator, he will be your father. Reward, I will begin to live with you forever here on earth. And when life here on earth is done, as you physically know it, eternal life will continue and eternity will be forever with God. Do you understand now how easily he builds it? And who does he use in our lives to bring this to pass? The Holy Spirit. What an amazing God, eh? eh I mean, sometimes these are not rhetorical questions. What an amazing God, eh? Okay. Any questions? So your response, whenever you begin to suspect that God is approaching you with an intent, your response should be, all right, I'm going to 
cause my interest now to be directed towards God's intent? And I'm going to ask him these questions, or I'm going to listen as he goes through these questions with me, because my interest will flame into passion as I begin to understand. In every situation this applies, guys, Oh, my intent, Peter, my intent is that I take you a fisherman, I make you a fisher of men. What's the process? You get to hang around with me for the next three and a half years. How do I engage with you? Come and see. Let me take you home. And once you come home, we'll start talking there. I'll take you with me. I'll sometimes rebuke you. I'll say, Satan, get behind me. Other times I'll say, this revelation did not come from anyone else but from the Father. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. What are the rewards? There is a day coming where you will stand before the entire earth and I will give you the keys of the kingdom and you will get up and speak and you will open the gates of the kingdom and the first day he does that, 3,000 come to God. And God approached him with intent. Where did that happen? When he was fishing and he had caught nothing. And how did God... Get his interest going. Cast your net on the other side. What was Peter's response? Get away from me, Jesus, because I'm a sinner. And that begins the journey. Guys, it's again and again and again the same. It doesn't matter whether you're 13-year-old Eva or whether you're 50-year-old Jacob or whoever. This is an amazing God. He's very logical. Times like this, you just marvel at his brilliance. And he's very simple. These are, these are simple keys. He's saying, use them, guys. Guys, there's nothing like knowing the mind of God, eh? Sure, love the love of God, love the power of God, love, but love the wisdom of God, but there's nothing like knowing how his mind works. Go over your notes again and again. Pull out notes like go and then pull out something from five weeks ago. Because I do that. I'll go over my files and I'll just go open a note that I did in 2017. And I'll start reading it. Why? Because I can't remember what I taught last week, man. And don't tell me you do. Maybe you do. I'm getting older. And so... <laughs> It's, uh, so every week I go and pull out some old teaching from 2017, 2018, 2019, and I go over it. The Bible says in Matthew 13, be like a man who has in his storehouse new things and old things. The kingdom of God is like a man who has a storehouse in which are new things and old things. Go pull out new things, go pull out old things and practice them. Next week, I'm going to give the mic to Tooney while we are in free worship. And you will hear him singing free worship behind there. Right, Tooney? It'll be a lot of fun. Anila is encouraging him, so that's good enough. So the, the Holy Spirit has intents too. The Holy Spirit has intents 
Let's take four of them, four intents that the Holy Spirit has in your life. Four intents that the Holy Spirit has in your life. First, guys, it is not the Holy Spirit's intent to make you a better Christian. It's not. He just doesn't do stuff like that. But here are his four primary intents. The intent of the Spirit is to, one, make you confident, make you confident of how God thinks of you and sees you. God thinks of you and sees you. That's one of his first intents. Hey, can I make you confident of how God sees you and thinks of you? Romans 8.15, one of the first things that happens when the Holy Spirit comes into you, your life, because you receive Christ as your Savior, is that immediately, born in you, is an intimate Abba cry, where the creator of the universe suddenly becomes your father. We just think that, um, yeah, we won't go there right now. That's the first thing that happens. He wants to make you confident of how God thinks of you and how he sees you. Most of us live between, um, most of us live between Luke 4, 3 and uh, Matthew, Matthew 16, 13 to 15. Most of us live here. Luke, most of us live between Luke 4.3 and Matthew 16.13 to 15. And Luke 4.3 says this, And the devil came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God. Right from when we are kids, that's a voice that constantly comes to our ears. Jacob, you really think you are this or that? Jacob, you really think you have a ministry? Jacob, you really think you're a good pastor? Jacob, you really think you are worth anything? Jacob, you really think that you have good pedigree? Jacob, you really think you're intelligent? Jacob, you really think you're good looking? Jacob, you really think people think well of you? Jacob, you really think you'll amount to anything? The intent is, can I bring reproach into your life? And oh my God, reproach sinks deep into your psyche where once we grow up, it is so hard to get out of it, eh? You really think you're a man enough? You really think you're a woman enough? You really think you know how to function? It's this constant barrage of you really think. Protect your children, Josh and Charlene. And the other part is Matthew 16, 13 to 15, where Jesus asks this question, who do you say that I am? Who do you think that I am? Who do they say that I am? And right from when we are kids, we have such an inaccurate picture of God. Who do you say I am? You're a God who can occasionally be trusted. Who do you say I am? You may heal, you may not heal. You're inscrutable, you are sovereign, you do what you want. Very hard to be confident about you. Who do you say I am? Occasional healer. Who do you say I am? Well, you do save because uh, heaven is guaranteed, but nothing else is. Who do you say I am? You have power, but you don't stop bad things from happening. Who do you say I am? You are responsible for both good and evil. Who do you say I am? Well, I better serve you because I need to go to heaven. Who do you say I am? It's such a jaundiced picture of God. And one of the things the Holy Spirit wants to do when he comes on the earth is to show you once again how God thinks of you and how God sees you. And if that isn't established, then we'll never get to John 13, 3. That's the place to live, John 13, 3. 
Knowing where he came from and knowing where he was going, he took off his outer robes, wrapped a towel around him, knelt down and began to wash the feet of his disciples. It's my quest. Oh God, bring me to this place in John 13, 3, where I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. And then it does not matter, oh God. Till then, I'm dependent on your applause. And I'm ruined by your disapproval. I'm your puppet. I know I've said this before, but it's worth saying it for the sake of the recording. There's a man in the UK who walks around the streets of London with an A board on him. And on the front of the A board, it says, I am a fool for Christ. And people who see him walking around with those words, I'm a fool for Christ, laugh at him. And then he walks past them, and on the back of the A board are the words, whose fool are you? Whose fool are you? Because if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you are somebody's fool. You're either the fool of your culture, or you're the fool of some stone idol, or you're the fool of someone who holds the strings and makes you dance for them, or you're the fool of some drug addiction. I've been through all this. Or you're the fool of money, you're somebody's fool because you're dancing to someone's tune. And as Christians, we need to make sure that once we become Christians, we still walk in a way that makes us look really foolish for Christ and for nobody else. Eh? The second intent of the Holy Spirit. Guys, remember this. Luke 4, 3, Matthew 16, 30, 15. Luke 4, 3, when, when the enemy speaks, he doesn't speak directly. Satan never comes with horns and a tail. He uses people. This is not who you are. Let me tell you who you are. Is that what they said about you? But let me tell you how you really feel. Protect your children. I look at Eliana and Reuben. Protect them. Let them grow up not knowing what we had to go through. Let them grow up in a matrix where early in life they figured out how God sees them and how God thinks of them. Otherwise, you'll have to come for therapy to a church for 40 years. Why are we not confident of God? Like I said, failed expectations. He's inscrutable. His sovereignty is so iffy. There are prolonged delays with his promises. He doesn't do things he could because, even though he has the power. What do you do with stuff like that? Guys, always default to his nature. Default to his nature if you want to be confident of God. Default to his nature if you want to be confident of God. Default to his nature. Every promise of God is actually a revelation of his nature. Every promise of God is a revelation of his nature. Whenever God says, I promise you this, what he's saying is, hey, this is my nature. I'm just putting it in words so that you can hold on to it. Every promise of God 
is a revelation of his nature. Whenever you are not confident of God, don't try to convince yourself in your head. Immediately default to his nature because it's the only sure standing thing in the universe. Hear me again. There is nothing else that stands firm, that is unshakable than the nature of God. And every promise of God is actually a revelation of his nature put into words. And it's the only unshakable thing in the universe. So when I begin to lose my confidence in God, given the circumstances around me, given my past experience, given my question marks over his very character, then the only place that is safe and unshakable is his nature. The nature of Jesus Christ. Because if you look at Jesus, you see who God is. Run there. And then let them bring bulldozers before they can pull you out of there. The word conviction, according to US law, is a belief that you will go to prison for. When you say in a US code of law that you have a conviction, what you're saying is, I am willing to go to prison for this. Christians do a lot of believing. They do very little conviction. According to U.S. courts of law, a belief is something that you can change because it might be an opinion. A conviction is something you will go to prison for. Die standing on the hill of God's nature. Any questions? What I mean by that is, if you want to choose a hill to die on, Die on the hill of God's nature. Any questions? Any disagreements? Any, anything you want to add? Shiloh, what is that? Hey, that's a... We're still on. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Shallow. Yeah, I forgot. Any questions? Okay. Did someone say a question? Okay. Second. That's the first intent. The second intent. Once you find his nature, guys, uh, life becomes much easier. So when I come for a service like this, I, I can prepare the best notes possible. I can try and sing as best as I can and do all that stuff. Or Jane can try her best. But what if we actually defaulted to his nature? What's his nature with regard to a service or a meeting? I'm there. I walk in your midst. I find it delightful to be with my people. My spirit is here. I'm your advocate, I'm your friend. I'll teach you, I'll reveal everything to you. I inhabit the praises of my people. I'm not a formal God. I'm your father. I'm not your uh, CEO. This is my house. I'm glorified when you worship me. I'm a healer. I can be anything I want to be when I'm with you. Turn to me. Once you default to his nature, now you don't have to worry about how the service will go. 
Long ago, I found this out and I realized that I don't have to work anymore. Before that, you had to prepare the songs, you had to prepare notes, you had to prepare bullet points, you had to prepare things, you had to make sure that there was time written next to each other. Two minutes of this, four minutes of this, three and a half minutes of this. And uh, with some people, when they would speak, you would hold the mic, because if they got the mic, it would be dangerous. And so, I still do that with Derek. The, 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 <laughs> the point being, guys, once you know his nature, once you default to his nature, everything becomes simple. So whatever situation you find yourself in, default to his nature. What is, and how do you find his nature? Look at Jesus Christ and you will know his nature. And then go for the promises of God because they are actually a revelation of his nature. So it's impossible to really stand in a promise unless you stand in God's nature. People who stand in a promise and not in the nature of God are people who think faith works. God works, man. Sometimes because of faith, sometimes even when there's no faith. Write down things God says, eh? This is his temple. You are his family. This is his house. This is his body. Why do I need to ask him to show up? He's just hoping you will show up. So, write down things God says from his word. Write down things that he says to you directly. Write down things that he speaks to you prophetically. Write it down. The only reason you should not write it down is because you're here with your spouse and your spouse is writing it down. If your spouse ain't writing it down, write it down. Write down things that stand out. Are you guys writing things down? Because I don't see your spouses here. <laughs> Keep an album of God's faithfulness. But the reason we keep albums at home is so that we can pull it out when guests who haven't shown up for a while come and you don't know what to talk. No, no, these are albums of God's faithfulness that you pull out every so often because you want to remind yourself. Psalm 42 verse 3, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how, you use, how I used to praise the Lord among the happy crowd. Keep an album of his faithfulness. I go over these pictures, eh? 1970, a big man with a big hand comes and puts his hand on my head and says, this boy will be a man of God. 1983, or oh, 1977, I was 13, Eva's age. A guy comes and says, you need Jesus and Jesus will change your life. And I'm bawling like a kid because I don't know what it means, but I know that he's right. 1999, in Seattle, Pastor Mike and I walk into a house and a man says, what's your name? I say, Jacob. He says, Jacob, I want you to know that you are special to God. And then he begins to say stuff. And as usual, bawling is my favorite thing to do when God says anything. Go over your album. Remind yourself. I could go on, man. I've got an album. But why go there right now? If you aren't confident about God, then can I help you start right now? 
if you don't know Jesus confidence of belief in God begins with believing in Jesus Christ his son and so why believe in Jesus Christ his son because he why believe in Jesus Christ his son because he makes God visible he makes God visible it's a historical fact that Jesus Christ was a historical figure who died on a cross that cannot be contradicted he makes God visible he takes away your wrong he takes away your wrong he moves you from creation to child God becomes your father he becomes the master or Lord of your destiny and life he lives with you forever and you live with him forever now watch this eh? watch what happens when you do not want God in your life you do not know God because he's no longer visible because you're not willing to recognize him your sins or your wrongs are not taken away and you die with guilt and sin you stay a creation of God you never move to that place where you're a child of God your creator God you do not know him and he does not become your father your life is no longer under the control of God your destiny is at the mercy of people and circumstances and God is not someone you will live with forever because you choose not to have him in your life it's crazy the price that Christ paid to make things possible so I'm just gonna pray right now and if you are here and you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord then um, I'd suggest that you pray with us because sometimes a prayer is just an introduction like introducing you to a friend of mine and then from there on you can decide what you want to do with the friendship so can we pray let's all pray guys Oh God, um, can you be a little more audible? I can speak in English if you want. Okay. Oh God, before I can ask you to rescue me from my sins, I have to acknowledge that I'm a sinner. So right now, I say that I have done wrong, I have sinned, and I cannot make it go away. But you paid the price for my sin. You died in my place. So that I might live. It was almost like a life transplant. So right now, could you please forgive my sins? 
I recognize you as someone who can save me from my sins. When you died on the cross, your blood was shed for me. Now cleanse me. I open my life to receive you into my life. I recognize you as my Lord and my Master. Jesus, from this day on, help me to live a life that pleases you. And I know that from this day on, I will live with you forever. When life here is over, it's just a fraction of a second. And I'll be alive and with you for an eternity. So I thank you, Jesus. Let your spirit now begin to live in me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, or the second time, or the 15th time, but sincerely, please feel free to come and meet me after. Okay, the second thing that God does, uh, the second intent of the Holy Spirit is that he elevates you to the same richness of relationship that Jesus had with the Father. That's the second intent of the Spirit. Can I elevate your relationship to the same richness that Jesus had with the Father when Jesus walked the earth? Guys, it doesn't matter where you are at right now. Do not settle. Do not settle. You can have the same relationship that Jesus Christ had with the Father. Can you put up Matthew 11, 27 and 28 from the message? Matthew 11, 27 and 28. Look at what it says, eh? And this was when Jesus was walking with his disciples and he um, suddenly starts praying out loud. And uh, look at what he says. Jesus resumed talking to people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say, this is a unique father-son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the Son the way the Father does, nor the Father the way the Son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and light. Beautiful, eh? Guys, please don't settle for the present relationship you have with God. It is not good enough. 
It is not good enough. Ask yourself this question. Why is it that you are refusing to move out of this circle of relationship with God into a new broad place that you haven't experimented with? Why is it? Why is it that you aren't moving out? What are you scared of? Because there are genuine things to be scared of. Do you know how disastrous a marriage is where a husband has decided that this is how much I'm going to love her and it doesn't matter. The next 20 years, I promise her I'll give her this love every day. That marriage is pathetic. It's supposed to increase. I don't want to come back next Sunday and have the same relationship I have with Christ today next Sunday. It's not even year to year, it's week to week, day to day. I cannot be the same place I'm at next Sunday as I am today. It must increase. He's infinite. And it never happens in isolation. Guys, remember this, I've said this before. Passion always exposes mediocrity. Passion exposes mediocrity. The more you hang out with someone more passionate than you in any area, the more you will find out, oh, shucks, I thought I was good, but I suck. Passion exposes mediocrity. Do not isolate yourself. The other thing, guys, if you find a better place where you can eat good food, go eat it from there. I don't know why we, I mean, in real life, we never stick with restaurants where the food is crappy. Why is it in, when it comes to things of God that we refuse to move from our uh, grandfather's background because grandfather said this is the best place for you? Your grandfather's in heaven weeping, saying, I'm so sorry I told you that. Please, please move on. Passion exposes your mediocrity. Do not come back next week the same way you were here today. Come back engaged with God more. Come back more passionate about God. It requires time. Find the time. Find the time. Relationships are built based on time. First love is not a lack of love, it's a lack of time. I know God better now than I did in 1989 when I became a Christian. I did love him tremendously then. I love him much more now because I know him better, therefore I can love him better. But here's what I don't have. In 1989, I had oodles of time for him. Now, I don't have the same amount of time for him. First love is measured in time. Ask any wife, she'll tell you. Next one. Hey, so what I'm trying to say with Matthew 11, 27 and 28 is this. The Holy Spirit wants to bring you into the same intimacy, the same knowledge, and the same trust 
that Jesus had with the Father. This is the yoke that Jesus wears. What's the yoke that Jesus wears? The yoke of intimacy, the yoke of knowledge, the yoke of trust. And he says, hey, come, walk beside me. Wear this yoke. It's light. It frees you. It teaches you the rhythms of grace. I've been wearing this yoke right from the beginning of time. Before time existed, I used to wear this yoke. It fits me well. It'll fit you well. Wear the yoke of intimacy. Wear the yoke of knowledge that I can give you. Wear the yoke of trust so that you can walk with me and with the Father. And the Holy Spirit will increasingly bring you into it. Third one. Third one is the intent of the Spirit is to bring you into the maturity of Christ. Maturity of Christ. Meaning, his intent is, can I make you as mature as Christ? His intent is, this, this is the third primary intent of the Holy Spirit. Hey, Jacob, can I make you as much? Excuse me. I don't know why she always starts at 350. Oi. Okay, I'll finish in five. He wants to bring you into the same maturity that Christ has. Why? Here's the crazy thing. Why does the Holy Spirit want me to be as mature as Christ? Very simple, guys. So that when you see me, you will see the Father. It's nuts. His intent is nuts. Hey, Matt, Rachel, can I turn your marriage into such a mature marriage that when people will see your marriage, they will see the Father? Hey, Chris. Can I turn your work life into a place of such maturity, just like Jesus used to work, so that when they see you at work, they'll see the Father? Hey, Jacob, can I turn your life into a life that is as mature as Christ, so that even when people aren't listening to you preaching, they look at your life and say, oh, shucks, this is what God the Father looks like. That's the intent. What, a, what an amazing job the Holy Spirit has. And that's why you see him called names like helper. I mean, I mean, you want to see what helper looks like? Look at these two kids and you'll realize what you are like. Look at their parents and you'll realize what helpers are like. Those kids are helpless. The parents are helpers. That is who the Holy Spirit is. Jacob, I know this is way beyond you. I know this is above your pay grade. I know you don't have the wisdom for it. Let me be helper. Let me be advocate. Let me be friend. And I'll bring you into all these things because this is what I'm on the earth for. I'm really good at this because I know the sun like nobody else does. Guys, maturing is a process. Huh? It's like vintage wine. It's not overnight. And maturing requires others around you. Perfection is just childish craving of an infant. If you are a perfectionist, know this, you are infantile. Perfection is a childish craving of infants. 
Perfection is a childish craving of infants who want, who want results without relationship and who want the letter of the law without the joy of learning. Perfection is the childish craving of an infant who wants results without relationship. It's impossible to make vintage wine without a process. Perfectionism is getting an amazingly old-looking bottle with wine inside it, perfectly poised with a little bit of caviar and some other stuff that they have with wine on the side on a nicely laid out table and you feel everything is right but the stuff inside the bottle hasn't gone through the process. Go ahead, Josh. I answered it, right? Yeah. Perfectionism is the childish craving of an infant who wants results without relationship. And when you demand perfectionism from people under you, you're doing exactly the same to them. You don't want relationship with them, you just want results. It's a letter of the law without the joy of learning. It's a letter of the law without the joy of learning. It is a letter of the law without the joy of learning. I'll stop here. I have just a little more to go, but I realize someone's got a birthday thing happening today. I've got to create time for that. Um, you know how you'll know whether you're growing in these things? Um, I'll just read it out. One, if you really knew God's heart towards you, and if you were increasing in relationship with him, you would know no fear. I often ask myself this question when I'm afraid. Hey Jacob, how would you live this movement if, how would you live this moment if you had no fear? Very often when I suddenly get a, a pang of fear grip my heart, or when I'm suddenly aware that, oh shucks, this could go wrong and I could lose big time. One of the questions I ask myself at times like that is, hey Jacob, how would you live this moment if you had no fear? And if I pause and think of it, I think of the myriad possibilities of how I could live this moment if I had no fear. And then the only place to go to, to undo the fear is run back to the default nature of God and say, Father, the Spirit of God is here to show me how you see me, how you think of me. And I'm going to settle myself, nestle myself in the crook of your arm right now. And I'm going to try and live this moment without fear. I'm telling you guys, occasionally when you hit that sweet spot, it is liberating. And when you don't, try again. Ah, we'll do the rest later. Let's just pray. Do you think you can uh, help us go over these questions this week, Holy Spirit? How do you actually see me? How do you actually think of me? Could you give me a glimpse? I love it when you give me glimpses of how you actually think of me. Either through a prophetic word or through some scripture that jumps out at me or even through preaching right now.
He is so capable of doing this. Could you help me this week, Holy Spirit, to step into a place of deeper intimacy, of deeper knowledge of who you are and deeper trust? It won't show in a week, but I'll make that attempt this week. Spirit of God, for my sake and for the sake of the church, I can't come back next Sunday the same. I've got to increase in you this week. A week is seven blooming days, Father. That's a lot of time. And Spirit of God, in areas where there are deficits, where there, there are holes, where there are um, flaws in my maturity, where I don't look at all like Christ, could you point out one or two areas this week so that work on those potholes can begin? So that others will look at Jacob and say, yeah, we knew that guy, man, every time you walked with him, you just couldn't escape the fact that God was with him. Every time we saw this area in his life, it was like seeing the Father. Father, that's the richest compliment anyone could give me. That's what I should put on everybody's gravestone. When we saw him, we saw the Father. Ah, oh, shucks. Holy Spirit, please grant us these things for Christ's sake. Please. We are desperate for this. We are really hungry. Really hungry. Father, we're not a very expressive people, but we're going to really express our hunger for this right now. Church, use your own words. Please ask. You must understand that the Bible says that when things are being taught, that the spirit world actually hangs around to listen. It's in the book. It says that angels stoop to hear and they marvel at what is being taught. Angels stoop to hear. I would suggest to you both the angels of God and angels from the other side. And therefore, when something is taught and there is no response to nail down or anchor down what has been taught, birds come to pick the seeds that have been dropped. One of the easiest ways to cause seeds to grow roots in your life is to respond. Roots spring up immediately when you respond. How did you get saved? You believed in your heart. And then what happened? You had to confess with your mouth. If you only believed in your heart and did not confess it with your mouth, you realize by Christ's definition you are not saved, right? Again, feel free to respond. Responding and anchoring things with our words gives seeds roots so that birds can't come and pick them up before you get home. And so I'm not saying say amen or um, say yes and all this stuff. I'll get my yeses whenever I want by saying something like what I just said. I'm just saying as we conclude now, let's anchor this thing by actually 
opening our mouths and saying to God what we need in terms of hunger, eh? Let's do that, eh? Because that's the way these seeds suddenly start germinating. And if you don't, you carry a whole set of seeds home and they never grow on your shelf. Yeah? Yeah? 